You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. Our theme throughout the month of December has been merry and bright. Based on the line from A White Christmas that says, May all your days be merry and bright. And White Christmas is a consummate hit. When it was first introduced in 1942, it spent 11 weeks at the top of the Billboard chart. Now think about that. A Christmas song was the top song for 11 weeks. And it, when it was re-released by other artists, it would actually take the top spot again in 1946 and 1947. It's the only song that has been the number one Billboard hit in three different years. It would actually make its way into the top 20 again and again, year after year, until finally Billboard started establishing a separate list of hits just for Christmas. Because White Christmas constantly came to the top. It's a familiar song. We've spoken before about how its release right after the beginning of World War II made it so popular as it sang about uh, just like the ones I used to know and giving these beautiful pictures of treetops that glisten. It gave GIs that were over fighting against the Nazis and fighting in the Pacific this picture of home. So it became the sentimental favorite. But something that's interesting about the man who wrote White Christmas, famously sung by Bing Crosby, but the man who wrote White Christmas, his name is Irving Berlin. And he didn't celebrate Christmas because he was a Jew. But he had a Christmas tradition that he, that he stuck to, that he was devout to. Every Christmas day, he would go to the cemetery where his infant son had been laid to rest. His infant son who passed away at three weeks old on Christmas Day. And here, White Christmas is written by this man who doesn't celebrate Christmas. And Christmas Day is actually this day of remembering a tragic moment in his life. But he was able to write that song, which evokes so many warm feelings at Christmas for us. He's able to, to write a song that Bing Crosby would sing, telling us, may all our days be merry and bright, when Christmas Day was a day of heartache for him. And I'm afraid that what we see in Irving Berlin is what happens for many of us. The truths of Christmas or the truths of Christianity become something that we are adept at saying or repeating but we think of them as truths for someone else and not so much for us. These powerful lyrics that he wrote in White Christmas, they weren't for him, they were for others. It may be that you're sitting here in the congregation this morning and the things that we celebrate and the things we sing about at Christmas is for your kids or it's for your grandmother or it's for someone else. And I want you to see that it can be for you today, that you can celebrate Christmas these truths. I think one of the reasons that this happens, though, that many people find themselves celebrating Christmas for someone else and not for themselves. Experiencing only grief when everyone else is experiencing joy is because we have this, this wrong idea, this error, that joy and grief can only be experienced individually. 
that there are times of joy and there are times of grief and that they don't mix. But they only happen in sequence. You have a period of, of joy and it's followed by a period of grief. And then once that period of grief is over, then perhaps then you can experience joy. And it may be that some of you today, you're saying, I can't experience any joy today because I'm in a period of grief. And I want you to see that what Scripture lays out for us is that joy and grief are not sequential, but they're often simultaneous. We often experience grief in the midst of our joy, and we often have joy in the very middle of our grief. And we see this in Scripture, that there are times that there is rejoicing, but also sorrow. Jesus, who knew better than anyone that he would see his friend Lazarus again, that he had the power to raise Lazarus from the dead, Jesus knew better than anyone that he had not said farewell forever to Lazarus, yet Jesus weeps when Lazarus dies. Paul would write in the Corinthians, talking about his team of of ministry colleagues, that they were sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. In Philippians, Paul would write about having joy in the midst of great adversity, and that's what we looked at in the month of November. This is not bipolar religion. This is not feeling joy one moment and grief the very next moment. Rather, this is moving with the layered, deep emotional harmony and spirituality that goes along with the melody that is the human experience. There are times that are hard and times that are wonderful. But we can have the joy of Christ in all of them, even in the midst of our grief. What we have pictured for us in Scripture is the experience of grief and joy, and that is peace. When we can have both of them at the same time, when we can experience joy even in the midst of difficulty. Perhaps you've heard the story of the art competition where um, the judges said, we want every artist to paint or to draw a portrait that communicates the idea of peace. And so many artists put together paintings and drawings of tranquil landscapes, a, a lake that was smooth as glass in front of mountains, an open meadow with the sunrise just peeking over. But there was one painting that wasn't like the rest. According to the story, this painting was a, rog- a ragged rock face against a seawall with an angry sky pouring down rain and waves beating against the wall. And there, just above the splash of another wave, there was a little bush, a little tree growing out of a gap in the rocks. And in that bush or tree, there was a nest where a mother bird had built a nest for her little ones. And she sat there in the midst of all of this raging sea and storm with her eggs. And the judges decided that peace is not when everything is great, but it's when you experience calm in the midst of everything that's wrong. It's for this reason that Scripture calls the peace that we experience in the Lord peace that passes understanding. It doesn't make sense. It makes sense to the world to think of the tranquil scenes as peaceful, but for believers who can experience peace in the middle of difficulty, this is a peace that passes understanding. And in the Christmas story, there's a figure, I think, who embodies this best. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20, tell us the 
the, the basic narrative of Jesus' birth, Mary and Joseph traveling to Bethlehem, finding no place in the inn, giving birth to Jesus and placing him in a manger, the shepherds coming to see for themselves, the angels singing praises, the shepherds joining in praising the Lord. But then there are the errands to run for Mary and Joseph, the next steps. And that's where we pick up in Luke chapter 2 and verse 21, and we'll see the story of Simeon as Mary and Joseph take Jesus to the temple. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. When the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So Mary and Joseph are taking their child, they're taking baby Jesus to the temple as every child would do when it was their time to be named, for there to be a sacrifice to be given for them. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. This passage tells us of Simeon, who is a just man, a devout man. He gives us a really good description of the type of man that he is. He is a man who has been faithful to the temple. He's been devout in his faith in the Lord. But there's also this really important phrase that I want you to see that it tells us about him. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Simeon was a man who was waiting on God. And I've never noticed it until looking at Simeon this week. There are several people that Mark and Luke point out to us as being people who waited upon the Lord. Or as Luke would uh, introduce us to Anna in just a moment, and it would say that she would go and speak to everyone who waited for the redemption of Israel. When Jesus' life would come to an end and Joseph of Arimathea would allow him to borrow his tomb for three days, Joseph of Arimathea was mentioned as one who was waiting for the redemption of Israel. These were people who were waiting on God. They were waiting on God to fulfill the promises that He had made. All of the prophecies that Scripture had foretold, they were waiting for Him to come through to keep His promise. This group of people 
that was waiting faithfully, patiently for God to come through. Simeon was one of those. How many of you like to wait? No one likes to wait, right? We don't like to wait. And when we're in a waiting room, we're thinking, what are they doing back there? Right? Are they, are they out for lunch? I mean, they forget about me? What's going on? And our patience is tested. And for all of the kids that are here in the audience this morning, some of you are really tired of waiting for Christmas morning because you're ready to open those gifts. You don't like waiting. But Simeon was a man who was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for the day that God would send this son that he had been promising from the very beginning of the book, all the way in the beginning when Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden and they mess up and God comes and he curses the serpent and he says, you will crawl on your belly and eat dust all of your days and I will send a seed of woman, I will send a son born of woman who will crush your head and in doing so you will bruise his heel. And then again and again throughout the scriptures, God would promise to Abraham that through him all the nations of the world would be blessed. There would be a descendant of Abraham, a Jew, which would bless all of the people of all of the world. God would make promises to David that his kingdom would be without end, that it would reign into eternity. And though a, a, a seed of David does not rule an earthly kingdom today, the seed of David, who is Jesus Christ, rules the world in eternity and will continue to receive glory in the eons to come. He is constantly making these promises. And Isaiah preaches to the people of Israel and tells them that they would be carried away because of their disobedience, but God was sending one who would restore them, and Jesus is that one. And Simeon has been waiting on all of the promises that have been t- spoken of throughout the Old Testament, from Adam and Eve to, to Moses to Abraham to David to Isaiah, all of the prophets. And I, I read somewhere that someone said that the entire Old Testament is just like the angels taking in a deep breath before they would say, He is here, because it's always looking to the day that Jesus would come. It's the moment that everyone's been waiting for. And so when Simeon sees this child, because he's been led of the Holy Ghost to walk into the temple that day, he can't help himself but to run over to this couple that he doesn't know and grab their baby and take him up in his arms. I don't recommend you do that at church. That when you see a young couple with a little baby, that you run over to them and grab their child. We probably will tackle you. But in that moment, Simeon couldn't wait any longer. This is the child they've been waiting for thousands of years. And Simeon had been told, you will not die until this day comes. You will see this messenger. You will see this Messiah, this promised one. So when Simeon sees this child, he runs. And what Simeon is doing is he's he's being just like some of you kids will be on Tuesday morning. The waiting is over. And you're going to run and... Tear into those packages, right? And some of you are going to break the toys that you're opening because you're tearing them open so fast, and the instructions are going to be lost and ripped in half. That's what Simeon does here. He runs to baby Jesus, snatches him up, and he says, this is the baby, this is the child. And he's just filled with absolute joy. We open gifts at our house on Friday morning, because we'll be traveling on Christmas Day. 
And Haven and Lincoln had been patiently waiting for several days, but once the opening of gifts happened, they couldn't wait for me to get out the scissors and cut tape or anything along those lines. They wanted every toy to be on and fully functional. There's no waiting for batteries or anything like now. That's what Simeon is experiencing this moment. Finally, he's here. He's here. And he swoops him up in his arms and holds him. And the absolute joy that my two children had on Friday morning when they finally are able to open up those gifts and play with those toys, that's just a, a, a glimpse of the joy that Simeon would feel in this moment. And it's not just that Simeon stumbles into this. It's something he's been waiting a lifetime for, looking a lifetime for. It was the fulfillment of a lifetime of looking for the king. And some of you, you can identify with where Simeon was at before this moment because you've been waiting and looking and wondering. There have been some things that have happened that you haven't understood, and you're just saying, God, I don't know what you're up to. I'm, I'm waiting to see why you've allowed these things to happen. I'm waiting to see why things have turned out like they have. God, I'm waiting. Why haven't you answered my prayers? Why haven't you heard me? Why haven't you acted? God, where are you? And when Simeon was led by the Spirit that day into the temple, there had been 400 years of silence. 400 years since the last prophet had spoken to his people. And the people were waiting, and they were waiting patiently, but they were saying, God, where are you? Some of you, that's where you're at. You've been waiting, and you've been wondering, and it feels like God's been silent, but all along God was at work. In this moment, when Simeon sees baby Jesus, he sweeps him up. And he's filled with joy. And notice what he says there in that passage. He says, Lord, now let thy servant depart in peace. He's seen this child. He's seen the fulfillment of this promise. And he says, Lord, I can now go in peace. I can now depart in peace because I have seen the Christ, the promised one. This year we've said goodbye to several saints. And it is only appropriate that we feel grief. But can I tell you this morning, and this will seem so paradoxical and so counterintuitive, we should also feel a little bit of relief and joy. We should celebrate. Because for all five saints that we've said goodbye to in this calendar year, they had seen the Christ. And they were able to depart like Simeon in peace. Peace that doesn't make sense. Peace that is counterintuitive. Peace that to the world seems strange and foreign, especially surrounding an event like death that is only fearful and mysterious. For believers, it is a peaceful departure because they've seen the Christ. I was thinking this week, as I prepared for two funerals this week, that this is actually the reason our church was started. The reason our church was started, Bob Helm started the church in Warwick County because he knew there were people here that would go to meet God. They would pass from this life to the next. And he wanted to be sure that before they passed from this life to the next, they had seen the Christ. They'd put their faith in Jesus. They'd experienced the forgiveness of their sins so that they could pass from this life to the next in peace. 
so they could be welcomed like expected guests. And instead of facing the judgment for their sins and pining in their error and their, their, their rebellion against God, rather they would walk into heaven like it was a reunion. And so this year when we've watched people that we love and are close to go to be with God, it is a moment of sadness for us, but also there can be relief in it and joy in it because they have gone to be with God. When these saints have gone on to be with the Lord, ready to meet the Lord, it is an accomplishment of our mission and our goal and the very reason that we exist, the reason that we're here. It's, it's for this reason that, that Simeon could say, let me depart in peace because I've seen the Christ and I know what he's going to do. I know the reason he came. I know that he's fulfilling that promise. I can go in peace because, God, I know that you have you've finished you have said, you've done what you said that you would do. You've been faithful to your promise. Lord, take me now in peace because I have seen your salvation. I've seen that you are going to do what you said that you would do. Simeon had peace in facing death because he had seen the Christ shot. He'd seen the Lord. The consolation of Israel had arrived. God had fulfilled his promise, and Simeon was holding the fulfillment of that promise in his own hands. Every one of the sad farewells we've had this year has been a departure of peace. They've been examples that these believers have set that impacts our generation and the generation of children that are in here with us today. A few weeks ago, Carrie was telling me that he and Tammy had all of the grandchildren, minus a couple, over to their house to spend the night. And they'd gone to see a movie, they had some popcorn, they had some snacks, and one of the grandchildren showed Carrie this little box that he was carrying, it was like a little treasure box, and in it was the obituary of one of our dear saints here at our congregation that had gone to be with the Lord. Did you notice what this passage said about what Simeon is proclaiming here in the temple? Simeon runs over to Mary and Joseph, sweeps their baby out of their arms. They're confused. They're a little concerned. But he begins to say all of these things about Jesus. He is the salvation of his people. He will draw all the Gentiles into himself. He is the consolation of Israel. He is the one that we've been hoping for. And Mary and Joseph marvel all that he says. Then we read on later that Anna, seeing all this, comes and she begins to speak about the child. And Mary and Joseph are encouraged by this older saint who's ready to depart and go into the next life. They're encouraged by what he is saying, the example he's setting in these moments, and his departure, that it will be in peace. My heart has been encouraged this year as I've seen so many of our saints depart in peace and faith and hope. I think about kids knowing these believers, these saints that have gone on to be with the Lord and thinking about them and the example they said. I think about the kids sitting on the bank here in Chandler over at Tabor's shop as we baptized Steve in that pond and they watched as he showed everyone that he had placed his faith in Christ. At June Scales funeral this past week, we gave people the opportunity to say a word 
about June to share a memory. And I've been at funerals where that was probably not the best idea, but it was such an encouragement. The things that people shared about June, the influence that she had had upon them, the encouragement she had been to them, the way that she had made them feel welcome at our church or made them to be, feel like they were a part of her family. And as an example that was set to generations of believers. Verse 30, he tells us, Mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light unto the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Simeon not only had peace because he had seen the child, Simeon had peace because he knew that this child was the salvation for all people. Because this, this child was going to give the message and the light to all nations. That because of this child's arrival, he would be the consolation of Israel. Simeon was not only encouraged because this meant that God had been faithful in his promises in the past, Simeon was encouraged because this meant that God was going to continue being faithful in the future. Can I tell you about one of the last conversations that I had with June? Every time I would go to visit her, she always wanted to know what I preached on the, the previous Sunday, and she would ask me about the passage, and she would try to read it if she could. There, towards, towards the end, she wasn't able to, to read her Bible, and she just wanted to know how church had gone. And it had been an, an, a very encouraging day. It had been a day that many of you had gathered with us for worship, and so I told her that it was a great day and that the church was full. And it was a day that Sarah had taken some photos in the back. And so I pulled out my phone and I showed her that image from the sound booth in the back of the congregation, just the, the sanctuary full. And she was encouraged. Why? Because this was a mission that she was a part of and something she was committed to. And she's encouraged to see it continuing on in her absence. When I went and I saw Viola for the final time at the hospital, it became clear that there was nothing more that they could do and that these were her final days. So she said, I, I want my funeral to be at the church because I want all of my children and grandchildren to come to church. And the reason that her services were here on that Thursday because she knew that that was one way she could get every one of them in the doors of our church. And so when I stood and I preached her funeral message and I looked out into the eyes of her children and grandchildren, some that we've been ministering to here in this community and in this neighborhood for many years and, and saw them locked on me listening to what I had to say about Jesus, I kept going. And afterwards, Nicole said, that was a little long, Daniel. And I said, they were still paying attention, so I was still going to keep preaching. Viola had a hope that in the days to come, the light would be a light unto her children and her grandchildren. And I wasn't present for this, but from what I understand, in her final days, she asked for each one of them to come, and she spoke to each one of them individually to share the importance of Jesus with them. You know what Simeon's doing in this moment? He's saying, Lord, I, I can go in peace. Because I know 
that you've brought your light to Israel and to the nations. I can go in peace because your light has come and it is a light unto all people. Christmas is the celebration that Christ has come. But Christmas is also the celebration of what's yet to come. And that moment in Bethlehem when Jesus was born, it was, it was a celebration that Jesus had arrived. But what did the angels say? I bring you good news of great joy which shall be to all people that born unto you this day in the city of David of Bethlehem, placed in a manger, is Christ the Savior. Even in that moment, the moment that Jesus was born and they were broadcasting it to the shepherds on the fields and in the hillsides nearby, they were saying from that moment, this is a celebration that He's here, but this is also a celebration of what's to come. A celebration of what's coming. And Simeon knew when he held that child in the temple, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. And he had hope. And he had joy. Even though this now, this was the sign. The angels, the Holy Ghost had told him, you will see the child and then you will pass. He knew this, this, this was the sign. He was now going to be with the Lord. And he wasn't fearful, he was joyful. Because he knew that even though his time was coming to an end, the best is yet to come. This child is here, and he will be a light to the nations. Christmas is the celebration that Jesus has come. And it's the celebration that the best is yet to come. That he is a light to the world. Irving Berlin's talent and melancholy prompted him to produce the hit song, White Christmas. But his talent and his melancholy couldn't bring him hope. Couldn't bring him peace. And the only thing that will bring us hope and peace is faith. Because resilient hope and robust peace is built upon strong faith. And when we have faith, like Simeon had, that Christ is God's Son and the fulfillment of the promise and a light to the nations, we know it is a reason to celebrate because Christ has come and the best is yet to come. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.